Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. In this HR Chat episode, we're going to hear from Bruce Bolger, co-founder at International Centre for Enterprise Engagement. Bruce is president of the Enterprise Engagement Alliance at the EEA.org, an outreach organization focusing on the development of a formal field to help organizations achieve results through the proactive involvement of all stakeholders. EEA runs the only formal learning program on engagement at EEA.tmlu.org and is the publisher of ESM, Engagement Strategies Media at enterpriseengagement.org, which provides ongoing coverage of this new field and of RRN at rewardsrecognitionnetwork.com, which focuses on all types of rewards used in incentive, recognition, loyalty, and business gift programs. The EEA, the EEA is the co-founder of the International Center for Enterprise Engagement at the University of Texas Medical Branch, which has created the first certification program for ISO quality people management principles. Bruce is also the founder of the engagement agency at engagementagency.net, a company that helps engagement solution providers and their clients profit from engagement. Bruce, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome you to the HR Chat Show today. Thanks, Bill. It's a pleasure to be on your program. So beyond my wee introduction there, Bruce, please tell our listeners a bit more about yourself and your role at the Enterprise Engagement Alliance. Well, thank you very much. And just quickly, the Enterprise Engagement Alliance and its sister certification organization, uh, the International Center for Enterprise Engagement, is all about helping organizations take advantage of what is really now becoming the new human capital mandate. We were way ahead of our time. <laughs> we were uh, launched um, before this concept of enterprise engagement was even on the map uh, back in 2008 based on a bunch of research we had done through Northwestern University here in the States that found a direct link between the engagement of customers, employees, and financial results. So our goal was to, at, when we founded the EEA, to develop a, a formal implementation process. The research was there, but the challenge is that companies are divided into silos. And they do not have a strategic and systematic approach to managing people, customers, employees, uh, sta and other stakeholders, distribution partners, and communities. So we were, I'm, I'm afraid, Bill, and you never want to be in the bleeding edge. We were way ahead of our time. But what we never dreamed of was that the world, in the meantime, would wake up to the need to have a strategic and systematic approach uh, to engagement. And I think that 2019 is the year of that. Your own country issued regulations that for the first time require any company with sales of over 250 employees, uh, pardon me, with over 250 employees to, re uh, to report on their employee engagement and other practices. Uh, also, that's related to employee resource groups that you, I think, are going to talk about later. And that we never recognized that the U.S., the International Business Roundtable, that the World Economic Council, that a huge uh, new uh, group and actually an ETF, an exchange traded fund called Just Capital, all would become active proponents of this concept now being called stakeholder engagement. 
but on practical terms is now enter we call enterprise engagement in terms of how you implement it. And finally, and this is a long uh, history, Bill, we've been at it for a while. It's also now ISO, the International Organization for Standardization has issued the first standards for human capital management, which, and there have become, there are now leaders that are getting certified uh, on human capital management. And what's exciting is that it, back in 1987, uh, ISO issued quality management standards, which transformed that field. And there are now 1.2 million certified companies in ISO quality management. And there are now these new ISO standards for people management uh, that are being adopted by major people and, and in fact in the UK. So that's an unprecedented opportunity for HR lots for your readers to digest and i hope that wasn't too much of an intro bill we'll be right back after this message from espressa the workplace is now more than just work it's the place where people find community and a sense of belonging to a bigger vision and mission that's why espressa built the first culture benefits platform designed to make heroes out of HR teams while connecting people and community. Espresso.com is total well-being, community, recognition, and culture benefits reimagined. Looking for more ways for your people to connect while positively impacting your bottom line? Visit Espresso.com. That's E-S-P-R-E-S-A.com. I'd say that's a pretty good intro, Bruce. Thank you very much. Um, okay, big question for you now then to get things rolling. Uh, what, what does employee engagement mean to you, Bruce? And uh, what are your top tips for companies looking to grow engagement strategies in, in their organizations? Well, first and foremost, and this is a challenge, the definition is fostering the proactive involvement of employees in your organizational uh, mission, your brand, I should say, mission, values, and objectives. Uh, so the proactive involvement, I think, are the critical uh, terms there. The major tips, and this is tough for many of your readers in HR, is that unless there's a strategic and systematic approach, likely it will fail. And the proof of that, Bill, as you well know, companies are spending billions a year on different types of recognition, incentive programs, uh, learning, coaching, motivational speakers, and yet engagement worldwide, worldwide hasn't gone up. And I think the situation is very analogous to quality management back in the 80s before uh, many people were, were really actively in the business world. And, and that is that um, it was ad hoc. Companies uh, did not have a strategic and systematic approach to quality. And every one of your readers knows that very few companies have a strategic and systematic approach to addressing the needs of all their stakeholders. And But now there's this enormous, enormous international push when you have the biggest organizations in the world uh, recognizing at the CEO level that this is, has to change and that we have to apply the same rigorous strategic and systematic approach. So my, my biggest piece of advice is stop throwing bright, shiny objects. Uh, in employee assessment services are useless unless you actually implement result, you know, implement uh, action as a result of them. Uh, training, you know, motivational speakers are nothing but a, um, a couple of rounds of beer at the pub uh, because uh, unless you actually have a sustainable plan that comes from that, unless it supports your values and your message, that all of the e-newsletters, 
and things we do. Sorry about that. Uh, um, all of these things that our companies do to, um, uh, should I say, motivate people fail if they are ad hoc and uh, tactical. Okay, thank you very much. Now, what are some of the big pitfalls that companies should avoid when executing their engagement strategies, Bruce? Uh, well, exactly. Throwing bright, shiny objects at things, uh, getting caught mm -hmm. up in fads. Uh, th this industry is so much, this year it's employee experience and now it's employee engagement, it's rewards and recognition, it's social media, it's giving people f uh, an extra day off on f every other Friday. These are all good things. But with, uh, the biggest pitfall is, is do throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks when the, what really works is, okay, let's establish, you know, I'm doing this in a strategic and systematic way let's establish what our organizational brand is. And today that means it's a 360 degree view. What is our brand to our customers, to our employees, to our distribution partners, and to our communities? What do we stand for as an organization? What is our, you know, our, our mission, our values, our culture, whatever you wish to call it. And then what are our objectives, which each year of course change based on market conditions. And then, you know, so you really, the, the the big pitfall and the big opportunity is to look at it strategically and systematic and then to, and then making sure that you have a collaborative process where your key, your team leaders are aligned, uh, that we break down those silos between, you know, HR, sales, marketing, that all around the world, I don't care where you are, uh, France, UK, China, there are fiefdoms in every organization that we need to break down so that we create greater efficiency by aligning what people do so that coaching, training, communications, rewards and recognition, uh, recruitment, everything aligns with what we're trying to achieve and who we are trying to be as an organization. How, how can rapid growth companies and, and large organizations maintain an authentic company culture, an authentic company voice uh, and an employee experience akin to the aspirations of their founders. Very often you hear, certainly with the rapid growth companies, that uh, you know that it was founded by one, two, three uh, awesome individuals. And when they had up to, say, 50 employees, it's pretty straightforward to maintain that, that essence of what that company meant. But then suddenly it explodes and you, you don't have that those touch points anymore. And, and at the other end, of course, with the larger companies, uh, it, it's just not possible for the for, for the, the the leaders of the company to to really instill what what an employee experience, what a, what a, what uh, employee culture should be. So that's maintained by their HR people and company culture professionals. I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear from you how on earth at both ends of that scale um, they can maintain an authentic company culture and an authentic employee experience. Well, every time you see that done, it's because of the CEO. It all boils down to the CEO. And I think the dirty little secret in the HR field that leads to a lot of syndromes that hold the field back is that in many times, HR people are covering for a bad CEO. Uh, because today, um, you know, the old model for a CEO was a very short-term model focused on um, process, not people. Uh, you know, how do we make money the next quarter, the next year, the next year after that? There was really no view of sustainable performance. Uh, most CEOs don't last at companies for three years. So they're just, okay, how can I get the most 
out of as little in the next three years. And many companies are private equity owned and their horizon is five or six years. And it's all about squeezing at the end of the day. So the sad answer, Bill, and this is why I think PR, HR people are always throwing out bright, shiny objects, because unless the CEO embraces culture, uh, you know, I, I was just talking with an engineer at a, uh, a company, I guess I shouldn't name it, a major company. And I said, uh, and he loves his job. He loves it. And uh, I asked him, you know, well, what are the values of the company? He immediately knew what the values were. And he knew directly how it related to his job. I was just asking him and he knew he had a clear career path there. And they were creating education opportunities for him. And even though he's in a high, high employment area, he's a mechanical engineer, um, he's going to stick with this company. He loves this company. And, you know, and he, but what's most important is that he knew, and it's a huge company, huge, huge. And they're doing an acquisition, a merger with another, there'll be, you know, a hundred thousand employees uh, worldwide or more. So how do you do that? You have to have a CEO who really believes in people, who believes in culture and believes in, um, that has a team of executives who believe in it. And that they have a healthy debate, but it's they have a strategic and systematic approach, and that is not just a you know uh, um, you know a, a bunch of words, but a real plan. And we have a great example: a, a company, DTE Energy, uh, uh, here in the states in Michigan, uh, an energy company that just achieved an ISO 10,018 uh, quality people management certification, and they have a strategic and systematic approach that's built into their recruitment, employer branding, uh, their customer branding, their communications, their learning. Um, every activity is aligned toward a plan that everybody can explain. And they use ISO standards uh, to help align everybody. But you, you, don't, you don't have to become certified uh, to apply a strategic and systematic approach. So that's how you do it. But it all starts with the CEO, Bill. Without the CEO, it's a waste of time. It, it, you're just throwing, again, you're, you're throwing ad hoc reactive um, uh, tactics to a fundamental problem. It's like treating cancer by taking the tumor away. You're not getting at the root of it. Okay, thank you very much. So now I'd like to focus a little bit on a couple of a couple of areas uh, internally that are that, that are used to to help foster belonging to grow uh, to grow an essence of of what it means to have a company culture and and to engage with that that employer brand. I'd love to hear from you. How important are employee resource groups in fostering? belonging in large organizations and also how important are internal advocates in reinforcing the company culture and mission to, to the wider workforce well because we we speak you speak english and i speak american let's make sure that just define employee resource groups i believe i understand the definition but i think we use a different term so quickly define that yeah, in terms of ERG, so uh, they could be uh, niche groups within an organization with, with uh, uh, particular focuses, whether that's um, a, a group which is focused on, um, say, mental well-being within the workplace and, and has yeah. uh, certain in, internal uh, stakeholders who are helping to uh, promote that. It could be uh, groups which are, are there to uh, foster uh, awareness in terms of diversity and in, in inclusivity. Lots of different uses for ERGs. Yeah, that's what I thought. I just wanted to make sure. 
critical. Um, in fact, um, uh, I, I'd have to think, but they're almost a requirement in, in ISO standards. Uh, and in the UK, by the way, uh, your country actually requires uh, employee research group. I believe you check your uh, on that, but I'm 90% sure that larger companies have to have an employee resource group related to the general management of the organization, related to any policy that affects employees. Yes, employee critical. Um, and again, but if you do it in a, if you do it as an ad hoc way, if you throw it out there and okay, let's do an employee resource group, like just like you're putting a ping pong table in the lunchroom. Um, it, they'll fail. So the CEO, and every time an employee resource group works, it's because the CEO cares. She is getting, you know, maybe walking in on one or two of the meetings, whether it's a webinar or an on-site, uh, whether it's uh, making sure that there's communications throughout the organization on what the employee resources group is doing, doing. All of these things, Bill, are great if they are implemented. But you know, the sad fact is, Bill, companies do these things to, to check off, okay, we're doing an employee resource group. But they, yes, they are mission critical. And if they're done properly, mentoring is a really important one. Diversity and inclusion. Loneliness. I mean, you don't have a loneliness club, but in many organizations, people are grappling with loneliness. So how do you create a sense of community if you can help people if work becomes part of their sense of community and belonging? You can actually do good for society and for people and tackle, you know, loneliness, which is a major, you know, hidden problem in society. Okay, thank you very much. Now let's uh, let's talk about some some of uh, some of the skills that are that, that are important. What what skills are most useful for everyone to have when trying to move towards a culture of engagement? Well, this is what makes the opportunity so terrific for HR. Uh, because it really requires somebody to be um, a, a marketer, a leader, a communicator, a trainer, a psychologist. Um, you have to have a, and also even with a little finance background, you know, there's a new organization that was just founded the, uh, that's a combination of human resources and human capital investors. So today, and there was just a George Washington University here in the States just announced somebody in charge of their employee engagement and the job description, who wouldn't want that job? You're basically developing a strategic plan on how we're, what's our employee, what's our organizational brand? How are we going to communicate it to our, how are we going to put that into our recruitment strategies, our employer branding strategies? How are we going to put that into our onboarding strategies? How are we going to put that into our retention learning, communications, rewards and recognition. So it requires communication skills, uh, leadership skills, training skills, assessment skills, general management skills, and then the ability now more and more companies have to publish corporate responsibility reports. And you'll see them on more and more websites. Sometimes they're, cord, cord, uh, you know, scroll down to the bottom of SAP's website. Uh, I can't think of UK companies, but uh, companies in the US like Wegmans and others publish corporate responsibility reports on their websites. Uh, and then many in 26 European countries and today, uh, wow, what a big day for your country. You are now the UK by yourself again and you have your own, <laughs> you're different from the U European Union. 
uh, gosh. And uh, my point is you guys have even more stringent rules that uh, of disclosures. And so you have to have some regulatory knowledge, which of course HR does. And then finally, you have to be able to do what HR I always think wants to do. And that is to find out what's going on. You know, that's the fun thing. You're like a shrink going in and finding out what's going, what is stopping people from being empowered, feeling included, being engaged with our plan? Why are the engagement scores bad here? What's going on? Or, and, or we're doing a human capital report. What information do we need to disclose and how are we going to present that? Gosh, uh, Bill, I can't imagine a more exciting job. Yeah, I should just clarify a couple of things, listeners. Uh, we're recording this interview on January 31st. Uh, that's the day that the UK officially left the EU. And uh, I've never been prouder to say that I am also a Canadian today without getting too political about that one. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, enough said there. I, I don't get involved on the show. Um, anyway, uh, we're, we're going to wrap up. Just the last couple of questions for you today, Bruce. H how important do you think it is to connect employee engagement to customer engagement and why? Talk to me about that vital connection i think between employee experience and and customer experience and frankly how they they should loop in and link in with each other well thanks so much for asking that because that was the essence upon which the enterprise engagement alliance was formed uh it's mission critical because your brand um and we don't have time in this podcast to discuss how much brands are affected by people and it's how we treat our, not only our external customers, but our internal customers. Every organization has an internal chain of internal customers. One that could be accounting, could be shipping, could be manufacturing. So any promise made by marketing and sales has to be fulfilled by internal people serving internal customers. So it, it, and it's remarkably important. We have proof, multiple research studies show the connection between employee and customer engagement, the problem is organizations don't have anybody in charge. There's nobody in charge. Who's in charge of that? You've got HR in one silo, you've got marketing another, you've got sales in another, and you know, in many organizations in your country, throughout Europe, throughout Asia, sales and marketing don't even get along. HR is even worse. These folks don't get along with each other in many large organizations. So, um, you know, the major challenge with CX and EX, which is sort of the latest buzzwords, is that you've got to have somebody in charge of a single brand. And so what are the behaviors, internal and external, that are going to result in customer delight? And I can tell you in the U.S., at the major companies, customer service is horrendous, horrendous. People have long wait times. You know, it's very quick to get a salesperson. That person speaks perfect English, you, but as soon as you have a problem, as soon as you need help onboarding, as soon as you have anything, endless waits, people that don't speak um, your local version of your language who are not trained uh, sufficiently, so you have to stay on hold. So we have a long way to go. Uh, and again, it's because the CEO doesn't get it. The CEO isn't using the company's services, so they're not experiencing how awful it is. Uh, so uh, unless the CEO grasps that, we're, we're again, it's just all talk. And this talk today is just about over ready, Bruce. Before we wrap things up, uh, how can our listeners learn more and connect with you? Well, thank you very much. Uh, 
Uh, all of the information about this new emerging field can be found at enterpriseengagement.org. That's enterpriseengagement.org. And there's lots of news, research, facts, case studies, resources. Uh, uh, and there's a whole marketplace of uh, engagement solutions at eexadvisors.com. That's eexadvisors.com. Bruce Bolger, thank you very much for being a guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. My pleasure, Bill. Thank you very much. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.